In this episode, you will hear all about Colorado High Country Mule Deer and recovering from a disastrous knee injury with Sean Smith. You are listening to the Archery Maniacs Podcast. Podcast. This is Remy Warren. I am Rihanna Carey. My name is Adam Foss. This is Paul Tedford, professional archer. Hey everyone, I am Christy Titus and you are listening to Archery Maniacs. We cover everything archery from the hunting side to the tournament side with stories, tips and tactics, gear reviews, and more. That, that helped my tuning game so much. And I made sure that all my arrows were square. I'm staring into his eyes. Blood's dripping off of its tines. Mud is everywhere. The clarity these mavens offer is amazing. I'm just like Spider-Man, you know, on this rock. You know, just <laughs> laying there. Belly crawling in there, and I can barely fit in there, and I can hear the cat growling at me. So I put my hand on his shoulder and pushed him, and we just ran at this elephant. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in to the Archery Maniacs podcast. And uh, in this episode, I have Sean Smith back on the podcast. It's been a while. Um, Let's see. We went through, I don't know, almost 280 episodes. And then I deleted them all and started over to have better audio quality. So uh, here we are again with with Sean back on the podcast. We're going to kind of talk a little bit about Sean's surgery. He had, he had knee surgery and everything like that. And then some of his 2018 season, the, his road to recovery and, and all that kind of stuff. So Sean, thanks so much for hopping on the podcast. Oh, of course, man. Good to be here. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, uh, I had a lot of fun talking with you last time and, and we swore up and down, we were going to try and put together a hunt. So I, I guess now that now that your knee's all healed up, we might actually have to try and do that. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. That <laughs> I think we shot that around for damn, probably a good year. But yeah, yeah definitely. We'll have to uh to get something figured out and, and get on the mountain for sure. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. So so kind of, you know, fill us in on on what uh you know what went down with your knee. Cause I've I've had full knee surgery as well so kind of you know what happened first off for you to have to have surgery and then kind of you know what all they fix and what what kind what did your road to recovery look like so that so that you were ready to get back out on the mountain yeah man okay well this one's a pretty good story actually uh (laughs) um, the injury actually happened back when I was 15 so that would have been what 17 years ago now Okay. Um, I, uh, I was at the lake, played, uh, played hooky more or less and went to the lake with some buddies and, uh, got the jet ski accident. And, uh, in that accident, I, uh, compound fractured my femur, broke, you know, tib, fib, and I completely demolished everything in my knee. And, uh, you know, back then they didn't. Yeah, it was, it was a, uh, it was a long road to recovery there. I think I was in a wheelchair for, oh man, six months almost, um, lost part of my quadricep actually as well in that accident. Holy hell. But, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was a gnarly one, man. I was, I was in intensive care for 14 days. It was, it was a good one. So needless to say, um, they repaired everything 
at that point the best they could. I mean, my jet was 17 years ago. Technology is not near where it is today. Right. So, you know, I had the, the, the rods in my femur, the screws, um, rods in my, uh, my tib fib and, um, you know, it was, it was, it was a mess. So <laughs> sounds like it pretty much went. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, so when I finally was able to start walking again, um, you know, I was having knee issues to where my knee would buckle and I would just fall, you know, I'd be walking and my knee would just like it dislocated and pop back in kind of a deal. And, uh, you know, they did an MRI on it and, uh, found a tear of my ACL and everything else. But the orthopedic surgeon that did my surgery wasn't really into doing, uh, surgery on it to fix that portion of my leg. He, he was thinking it would do more damage than good at that point. God damn. Um, so yeah, so I kind of lived with it for years, man. I mean, um, everything from, you know, hunting to, you know, motorcycles to you name it, I was doing it. It just, I, I lived with the knee injury. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it slowly got worse over the years. Um, and it just finally got to the point to where it, it would, it was so common for my knee to go out. I mean, there was a few times, um, I was on the mountain with, uh, Marlon Holden and, uh, you know, we were, you know, scaling a couple steep faces and, and it buckled and went out and it, it just got to where it was almost too dangerous for me to, to be on the mountain in that condition, you know? Yeah. And, no uh, so yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty intense. And, uh, so in 2016, I guess it would have been in the end of 2016. No, it was 2017. Um, you know, I, I decided to, finally get a primary physician. Um, and, and when I did that, um, my fiance worked there and she convinced me to get my knee looked at. So they did an MRI on my knee and were pretty much blown away that I was still able to walk. <laughs> you know, it's full of arthritis. <laughs> It was full of arthritis. I had uh, tears in my lateral medial meniscus. Um, I had no ACL. Um, the uh, the ligament that's on the inside of your knee. Um, I forgot the the name of that one. Uh, uh, the, was the torn as well. The MCL. only ACL is that is it, it might have been. Um, and then the pretty much the only thing holding my knee together at this point was my PCL which is the, the one on the back of the knee. Yep. And uh, so from there, they got me in with a great orthopedic surgeon. He, uh, he's actually kind of a world-renowned. He, he did uh, Reggie Bush's knee and, and a couple other big-time NFL guys. He was the Seattle Seahawks team doctor for orthopedic for a while. Um, so he knew his shit. And, uh, so I went, sat down, met with him and, and, uh, kind of told him, you know, what I did, you know, as far as backpack hunting and, and, 
you know, the, the gym is a very important part of my life. And, and so, you know, in regards to working out and everything else I do and, and, uh, pretty much what he decided to do was, uh, he went in and put a cadaver ACL in there, mm-hmm. um, which for, you know, people that don't know, they'll, you know, take an ACL out of a dead person that's close to your age and, and, um, you know, insert it and hopefully your body takes it. Um, along with that, they did a, you know, repaired my lateral medial meniscus. They did what they call a lateral release of the patella, which is where they go in and cut all the tissue on the exterior part of your knee. Mm-hmm. And it releases the, the patella because my kneecap was pulled over towards the outside. And then, you know, they cleaned out all the arthritis. I did have a, uh, I think it was a 12 millimeter fracture in there on the Jeez. head. I believe it was on the head of my, yeah, it was, it was pretty gnarly. So they went in and did all the repairs and, uh, they, they, they put me right at about six months recovery time, you know, to where, you know, I was, I was able to be back, you know, hopefully hiking again and, and, you know, trying to be around 70% back to normal is, uh, what he was shooting for. (laughs) Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty intense. And once I got that done, um, you know, the typical, you know, go in for my appointments and everything else, I kind of started pushing the envelope. Um, once the, the physical therapy started taking me out of the brace, um, you know, cause they had me in a knee immobilizer. And then of course they moved me into or they, they released the hinge to where I could walk on it and start bending and everything else about two months later. Um, and so once I, once they released the hinge more or less, I kind of started pushing the envelope a little more than I probably should have. I don't recommend it, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was, I was back in the gym doing my normal thing, um, as much as I could, of course, you know, not going heavy. I was real light. Just, I just felt that the more I could do outside of physical therapy in terms of getting it back to normal in regards to strength and range of motion was my best bet. So I kind of took it on my own hands and I got to a point to where pretty much physical therapy wasn't doing anything for me. So I kind of quit going without talking to my doctor and he wasn't too happy about that. Um, but I mean, it just, I I was tired of doing the bands and, and, you know, the, you know, just all the little, little ball exercises they had you doing and everything else. But, you Mm -hmm. know, I felt I I had enough strength built up, um, in my leg to not have issue. Um, so I probably, I mean, rehab myself for a couple months, you know, didn't, didn't push it hard. I wasn't in the squat rack or, you know, doing any heavy weights, but, you know, I would do certain things, um, that wouldn't really strain the ACL directly. Um, but it probably took up until six months. So I had the surgery in November, um, just after Thanksgiving. So it was probably around May 
April um, that I started actually, you know, kind of diving into getting my leg built back up for the hunting season. Gotcha. Um, you know, so when I started doing that, I, I just started, you know, hiking, but I, I wouldn't do any, any heavy, I, I wouldn't throw weight on my back yet, just with the uneven surfaces and, and mm-hmm. everything else. I was still feeling like there was a lot of, um, uh, a lot of movement almost in my knee. You know, I felt like because I did so much damage to it over the years that the arthritis was almost partially keeping it together, almost like a binding agent. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it felt like, you know, with the swelling and, and everything else I had that, um, you know, it would want to, I, I call it pop out, um, you know, but it would feel like it just wanted to, to give out on me still. Um, and then, uh, over time it, that went away, you know, and, and, uh, it, it kind of subsided when the swelling started to disappear more and more. And, and, uh, and fortunately, you know, I haven't had an issue with it wanting to do that, um, since the surgery or, you know, since, since that point. Um, so, you know, about June, about the end of June is when I started doing some, you know, more, you know, weighted stuff. Um, I, I, I kind of avoided, you know, heavy backpack cardio in terms of hiking, just, just for the fact of uneven surfaces, stepping off somewhere, you know, it was still, you know, it was still healing. So I didn't want to overdo it in that sense. So I would do a lot of backpack cardio on the step mill, you know, something like that. So I was still getting that in there. Uh-huh. I wasn't running the risk of, you know, stepping off a boulder wrong or, or coming down the trail too fast and buckling my knee or just any, any little thing that, you know, could have happened. So I, I avoided that in whole by just doing a lot of backpack cardio on, on the, the step mill. Gotcha. Um, you know, and, and then, uh, when, uh, when the time came, I got drawn for Colorado. I was still kind of iffy because I went, you know, I was planning on going on a solo backpack trip. So with the surgery and, and, and knowing it's still healing, it was, it was kind of iffy. Uh, but I, I don't know. I would say towards the middle of July, I felt that it got built up enough to where I wouldn't have any issues as long as I was smart and, and wearing my brace and, and uh, not being an idiot, more or less. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, it was a long process. And, uh, you know, I know Kenton Peru uh, mentioned to me in uh, Reno last year about doing uh, PLP. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that. That's that no, I'm not. rich plasma. So what they'll do is they'll withdraw your blood. They'll spin it. And they'll uh, they'll pull off the the plasma and they'll inject it directly into the the injury, and uh, you know it's supposed to help greatly. Um, so I took his advice, and I'm starting that here pretty quick uh, to hopefully get some more uh, more healing back in my knee. I'll never be at a hundred percent. You know, I'm probably at about seventy five percent, and that's probably the best I'll ever get it. Um. But mind you, I was hunting on a knee that was maybe 50% or 40% right. for years. And so to have, you know, 
that extra 25, 30%, um, is night and day. And, and I tell you what, this year it, it felt good to be on the mountain and not have this injury lingering as bad as, as it did for so long. Yeah. I, I can you know, imagine that, that, you know, you go on. I never, I, I, I'd imagine I'd experience. Yeah. Well, and I, and I could imagine that, you know, you go on a hunt like that. It's, it's not like you walk up to the top of the hill and you can still see the truck and that's where you're hunting. You know, it's who knows, two, three, four, 10, 15 miles. And, exactly. And man. Exactly, yeah. Man. And yeah. And that's, that's, uh, that's the thing. And, and so, you know, to, to be able to just have that little bit of comfort, I guess you could call it, you know, in the back of my mind that, you know, I, I, you know, my knee's a lot more stable and, and, uh, you know, I, I don't run the risk of injury as, as significant as I used to. Um, it, it definitely made, you know, being on a solo trip over there, a lot more comforting. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what, you know, what kind of, did your planning change for that hunt? Knowing, you know, with, with knee surgery, with coming off the, the tail end of knee surgery, or did you, did you pretty well plan that hunt? Uh, like, like everything was, was before your surgery. You know what? I, 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 I planned it, um, knowing I was coming off the tail end of surgery. Okay. Um, you know, I was a little more methodical on, on things. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, Colorado, uh, you know, you have cell service damn near anywhere. Right. You do. But there is areas where, you know, you don't have service. Um, so, you know, for this trip, I made sure that I actually brought my sat phone with me, which is something I rarely bring unless I'm going to Alaska (laughs) or somewhere. Um, and then I also, I also, you know, I have, uh, quite a few friends that live on the Western slope, um, you know, that knew I was over there on the mountain, um, that, you know, I, if I needed help, I, I could rely on them to, get over there and, and help me if, if it came down to it. Um, so as far as logistics, that was the biggest change in my planning for this year. Um, you know, Marlin was, was hunting a unit over. So if I needed something, you, you know, just some fluke deal happened and, and I re-injured it, I just couldn't get off the mountain. You know, I, I had resources, that were close. Tony Treach was right by me. You know, I was, I was kind of covered. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. I had good friends that I was able to, to rely on just in case something did arise. But, you know, I was also very fortunate. Nothing did. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a good feeling when, when nothing happens that you weren't expecting. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you know what they say, if it can happen, it will happen. And, and that was, you know, the thought in the back of my head the entire time, you know, but fortunately it, you know, I didn't have anything happen in regards to, you know, re-injuring it. So that, that was pretty nice. Absolutely. And to be able to get back on the mountain 
that soon, you know, cause you know, he was at one point trying to get me to push it back, you know, another year, give or take, you, you know, push it back a season, sit out another season, you know, and, and, and not do my Colorado high country stuff. But, um, you know, after some coaxing and, and some sweet talking, he, he kind of gave in and, you know, fortunately he didn't get to say, I told you so. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So what was, you know, what did, what did the planning for the hunt look like? Um, you know, what did, what did your hike in and kind of your gear look like? I mean, you don't have to go super in depth. Um, and then, you know, how was your hunt? What tell us, tell us about it. I I know, I mean, I know spoiler alert. I know you shot a good buck, but I I just want to hear all about it, man. (laughs) Yeah, man. Um, as far as, um, you know, logistics stuff. Um, you know, I got over there a couple of days before season opener. Um, I, you know, like I said, I had a few buddies in the area already. So I had a couple guys check out a few basins and stuff for me. And, and so I had, you know, a decent amount of information. Um, so I don't know, two days before season, I hit a couple spots, hiked into just, you know, doing day hikes into stuff, you know, hiked in in the evening glass stay the night glass in the morning come out you know and and hit a few spots like that um you know to where i was trying to be as efficient as i could i wasn't committing myself just to one area and and taking my you know everything in i was i was day hiking a lot of spots even though i was covering a lot of ground um you know i was trying to go you know just more or less cover as much country as possible before before uh opener just to hopefully find a solid buck and uh be able to hunt him on opening morning um so i would say oh man i didn't even let's see the opening morning um oh uh, real quick i don't i don't mean to cut you off uh, in your, in your story. Uh, but when you, when you say that you went, uh, you went, you know, a couple of days before season opener, was that purely for scouting purposes or was that kind of to go, you know, build the confidence in your knee and in yourself and everything like that. So you're like, okay, opening day, I am ready to go for sure. Or maybe it was a mixture of both. Yeah. I mean, it was more for scouting. Um, you know, I felt confident enough to an extent in my knee. Cool. Um, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really think of it too much. I mean, of course I was very smart and, and, you know, in regards to, you know, taking care of it, but as far as being concerned, um, you know, and, and going early for that, I didn't really think about it like that. Um, you know, I was just going over with the mindset of, of getting a couple of days to scout, um, but also getting, you know, it's always nice to get over there a few days before and, you know, being here, you know, where I live at 1400 feet, you know, to getting over there and, and, uh, you know, being at 10 to 10 to 14, that's, uh, that's a big jump. So, 
you know, it's always nice to get over there a few days before and, and, you know, do your real huffing and puffing and, and getting acclimated while you're scouting instead of trying to, you know, getting in, getting it in while you're hunting. Yeah, that um, makes perfect sense. So, you know, it's, it's always a nice, you know, easier way to do it than get there the day before, you know, season and, and, you know, try to hike in somewhere, you know, two to five, six miles, whatever, whatever the case may be. It just seems like it makes it a lot more easy, easy when you can just, you know, spend a couple days and, and, uh, you know, like I said, day hike stuff or, or whatever, and, and not have 60, 70 pounds on your back or however much you're carrying, um, to strain you that much more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, as far as, as far as, you know, the knee stuff, I, I wasn't really, I, I was, I was too set on wanting to go over there and kill a big buck. Cause I, cause awesome. I was able to do that. <laughs> I had to, I had to sit the year prior. So, so this year was kind of a, uh, you know, I, I went over there with, uh, a mindset of, I, I got to make up for last year. And, uh, you know, that, that was kind of what I went into that hunt with. I, I set a goal on, you know, the caliber of buck I wanted to shoot and, and, uh, stuck to it, you know, wicked. That's wicked. So yeah, sorry. Like I say, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, but that's just, Oh, no problem, man. Right no after problem. you said that, it, that question came up and I just decided not to ask you for whatever reason. Then I was like, man, I should ask you that. <laughs> but, but I, I don't know. all right. We could squirrel wherever you want. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, back to the hunt, the first day of the hunt. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, the first day of the hunt, um, you know, I, I, uh, I was in a spot to where I actually day hiked in. I, I found a buck that wasn't too far from, you know, from where I had my teepee set up where I was just kind of using as a, a base camp where I could, you know, keep all my stuff and, and everything else. So, you know, I'm always a big believer in, you know, don't hike past bucks to find bucks. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I located a, I don't know. He was a 170s class buck uh, that that I kind of had an eye on for a while, and I found him the the evening before opener, um, and he had a, another buck with him that I wanted to get a look at. Um, so that morning of the opener, I actually spent, um, you know, I was probably I don't know, mile and a half from the truck, so I wasn't too far too far off the roads. I didn't you know, have to hike in to, uh, to locate that buck. Um, but, uh, you know, after, after some time watching him and the buck he was with, I actually, uh, have a bunch of video of him up on the Instagram and, and all that. Um, but after watching him and, and kind of studying him, he just wasn't quite what I was looking for, for being that early in the hunt. Um, so, you know, did the, you know, stayed in there that evening, came out, um, and hit another spot the following morning, came across another solid buck, um, you know, closer to the, the, the one eighties, um, watched him feed up and fed up and over this ridge and, uh, right into another unit. 
you know so <laughs> of course <laughs> i uh yeah it was it was kind of a you know a, a damned if you do damned if you don't you can't you know i couldn't take off up the mountain chasing him because you know he he dove off into the next unit over and you know i just <laughs> hoped he would come back and uh he ended up coming back and uh he came over um, back over at the far end of the mountain, um, down from me, probably, I don't know, half mile, three quarters of a mile and, uh, was with a couple other bucks and just wasn't in a spot. I could really put a move on him. And, uh, so he got to, to sit for a little while and, you know, hang out more or less. And <laughs> that, that following morning, you know, as I'm watching him, I also see two other hunters, you know moving in on him and uh he's on his feet feeding and and they're coming in and they blow him out so i just pretty much wrote him off <laughs> and uh it was it was a it was a different year over there it was it was uh you know a lot of stuff was spread out um a lot of stuff was hanging in the timber um a lot of the you know alpine grass was already dried out um, you know, there was a lot of wallows I came across that were already dry. Um, you know, it was just real droughty over there. Um, so finally, um, I hooked up with, uh, a buddy of mine that lives over there, um, uh, Tanner, and we went ahead and, and, uh, hiked into this basin, um, and came across, uh, the book I ended up shooting. Um, with seven other bucks. And so we get up above them and we're, we're watching them for a while and they feed up and over and cruise down the ridge line a little bit and, and bed up in some willows. And we watch them for about a good, I would say two to three hours, just, just trying to figure out the best way to make a play on them. And during this time, these backpackers come up along the ridge line and blow them out of the country. Oh my God. The amount you know, of stories like that you said, hear about, it, oh about man, Colorado it, it, it and backpackers. Wrong, go wrong, man. <laughs> oh it's dude, it was nuts. bad. I mean, they just cruised the ridge line like it was nothing. So the bucks blow out, they wrap around the knob of this mountain, you know, the ridge line we're on and are actually wanting to, come into the basin we're sitting above they fed up and over into the other they came around the knob and they're they're wanting to come back to us so we watch one of the younger bucks come up on this bench that we're able to see and and you know thinking okay cool they're gonna they're gonna you know they blew them out but they're they're gonna wrap around the knob they're gonna come right back in here into this basin and we can make a play on them well as soon as that buck wrapped around, he whirled and hauled ass down the hill, and we couldn't figure out what the hell for the life of us happened. <laughs> well, we looked down, and there's a backpacker squatted over, taking a shit. <laughs> I mean, right there, man. And uh, so that whole, that whole group of bucks bailed out and uh, disappeared. We couldn't pick them back up. You know, we, we hunted them for probably three or four more days just trying to locate them and, and we couldn't, you know, and, and it, it, we didn't write them off, but couldn't find them. 
So come about day, I think we're looking at about day six now. Um, I head into one more spot and get in there that next morning, um, locate two decent bucks. Um, nothing crazy, fantastic, but you know, two, you know, mid one sixties class bucks and they're feeding, you know, cruising around, uh, the top of this ridge, you know, and they're wanting to wrap around and, and drop. So as soon as I watch them get out of sight, I book it over there. I get to where they, they wrapped around. I peek over and, uh, they're both there and, uh, hit them with the range finder. They were 150 yards. And I thought, okay, perfect. I close, you know, probably three quarters of a mile. I have them within 150 yards. There's another little knob right here. They're going to want to feed up and over. As soon as they feed over that, you know, I'll cut the distance even more. And I should have, you know, a 60 to 70 yard shot was my mindset. Mm -hmm. So as soon as they fed around the knob, I dropped down, get over to where they fed over, you know, get an arrow knock, get, get ready and go to look and they're not there. What the hell happened? You know, they were, <laughs> you know, they weren't spooked or anything. What they did was they fed around that knob and dropped off and dove off into the timber and I could hear them down there in the timber, but you know, I, I didn't want to go down there and, and mess everything up and blow them out of the country or, or risk just messing it up, you know? So I let him be, I backed out of there before the wind changed up and, and, uh, went back, grabbed a few Got to, got to ask you a quick question about backing out when the wind came up, when the wind switched directions on you, how long, how long, you know, in your hunting career, how long did it take you to gain the patience uh, as well as the mental knowledge and knowing that it's okay to back out. You don't have to go right this second, no matter what, because that's backing out's hard, man. It's super hard. You know, you start getting oh, in close man, and it's just like, I just got, I just got to shoot it. <laughs> so how long did that take you? <laughs> exactly. And it's, you know what? I still don't think I have it. You to be honest with you. Uh, Me either. <laughs> it's, it's taken a long time. And, and, uh, you know, I've been in some situations, especially over there, um, you know, hunting with other people and, um, where, you know, I've seen it firsthand, you know, whether I'm watching them through a spotting scope, you know, putting a stock on an animal and, 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 you know, the wind changes up to where, you know, you're going to blow them out and you have to back out to, you know, having, having it just fall through, you know, mm-hmm. just by trying to push it and, and, you know, you lose an opportunity because you got a little too aggressive, you know, aggressive is a very good thing. I mean, you know, it, it can be a very good thing The the buck, you know, if the buck's in a bad spot and you want to bump him, you know, ever so slightly to hopefully get him in a bet, betting in a better betting in a better spot to make a play on. Um, you know, that stuff can play out in your favor. Yeah. So so being aggressive is a good thing to a, to an extent, but 
being able to know your limits or, or being able to read, you know, deer behavior. I think that's a big thing. And it took a lot for me to learn. Um, you know, I gained a lot of knowledge, um, when I hunted with, you know, Marlin or, uh, my buddy Chad or, or Tanner or whoever, you know, I, you know, you, you look at these guys that are killing the big bucks and, and you kind of just start taking notes and, and that's what I started doing, you know, back when I started hunting with the guys I hunt with and I was able to learn it to where the mistakes I used to make when I first started hunting big deer, um, are not the mistakes that I make anymore. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, when, when, you know, you're rolling the dice and, and nine, you know, nine times out of 10, it's not going to land on the hand you want. Why, why try to make a play on them? Yep. You know, yep, so that makes perfect sense. It, it, it kind of gives you that little bit of a sense of, you know what, you know, he's going to be in the same spot. Hopefully the wind will hold or, or whatever the case may be. But the second you bump him out, you know, if, if, you know, you bump them hard enough, they're, they're gone. You know, I, I've seen, um, you know, plenty of bucks go nocturnal, especially big bucks. Yeah. Or they'll, you know, they'll move in the timber and they won't come out of the timber until the night, you know, and, and you think they're gone. I had a friend of mine, uh, shoot, a, I think it ended up going, you know, right in the two thirties, um, killed a buck the year before he hunted him and, and actually backstrapped him sadly and, and lost him. He thought the buck was gone. No, what the buck did was he, he moved into the timber and he did not leave. Um, it was a fluke deal. He came across him and, and, uh, he, uh, he played his cards right the following year and was able to bump him out of the timber into a, into a bed, you know, up, up on the mountain and, and was able to make a play on him and kill him. Yeah. Also, that's where, you know, you look at, you look at being able to play the aggressive card and, and making it work to your advantage. Um, you know, by, by doing a soft bump like he did and, and getting him to bed up high in a stockable spot. And, uh, you know, it just, it just comes with time and time and experience, you know, every, every failed stock I've done, I've learned something on for sure. <laughs> I, I seem to learn a lot more off of the failed ones than I do the, uh, the ones that I look over there and I'm like, okay, I go over here and I go down there. I'm going to come up there. I'm going to shoot him. And then that happens. And I'm thinking to myself, holy shit, <laughs> that won't happen again next time. Exactly. You kind of go on that autopilot during that. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've, yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, I've had multiple, you know, successful stocks and, and you're right. You, you know, you, you make it happen and, you know, you don't think about, you know, what it took to get you there. Now you're, you know, you're grabbing antlers and, and you're, you're just stoked six ways from Sunday and, right. you know, but, but as soon as you do, you know, uh, uh, a stock, especially in the high country, when you're putting in, I think to kill my buck this year, even though I was probably only a mile from him as a crow flies, but to get around the ridge, to get around the backside, you know, and, and, and to be able to come over the top, it was probably a solid four miles. And, you know, to do a stock like that, 
which is very common, you know, in that country. Um, and, and have it fail is a true, oh, that'll, that's a true test of fortitude right there. I mean, that's gonna, you know, a few of those will definitely break a man down. Absolutely. uh, Once you live it, you know, a few times you just, you don't want to do it again and, and you're gonna pay attention to all the little things, you know, whether, whether it's, you know, you didn't read, read the wind right, you didn't read the terrain right, you know, that's, that's a big thing people do over there as well. You know, they'll, they'll put a buck to bed and I can't tell you, you know, how many stories I hear of people coming over the top in a wrong bed or, you know, any little thing like that. So when you put in the time and effort to get over there to them and, and you put in all that work and it fails, you're, you're going to take something from it for sure, you know? Yeah. And, and I've had plenty and I got plenty of people that can vouch. I've had plenty of those. And, uh, you know, once, once the rubber meets the road and you start learning from it and, and, uh, you know, you, you become not only a smarter hunter, you become a lot more efficient and, uh, are able to, you know, be, be more successful than, than you were. But it, it t- definitely takes a lot of time to get there. I mean, you know, I think I've hunted Colorado since 2012, and this is my first time breaking the 180s, finally. You're right. So, you know, I've, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, pretty awesome feeling when it all finally comes together after all the years of busting your ass, you know? Yeah. Oh, man. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? Yeah. And, and I really, I agree completely with what you were saying about, you know, the, uh, you know, paying attention to the little details, you know, what, uh, what dead tree are those deer by or what rock cliff are they by? Or, you know, when you glass them up and you're planning your stock, take a picture of the hillside they're on. So when you get up above them, I guarantee you everything exactly. is going to look completely different, completely different. And that's oh, one of the man. hardest things that I would say, I mean, struggle with. I mean, cause patience goes along with this, you know, but I glass up up and I'm like, Hey, I'm going over there. I'm gonna go shoot it, make my plan. I get over there and then shit, where was he, <laughs> you know? So you brought up a really good point there. <laughs> oh yeah. No. And that's, that's the thing. I mean, if I could pass on to anybody, it's, you know, take your time and figuring it out, you know, and you know, you, you can't, you can't do too much looking and, and studying of the mountainside before you go over there. I mean, the more you do, the more, you know, it, the more, you know, the terrain, you know, the, the better off you're going to be, you know, yep. and, and Google earth, you know, will only show somebody so much, you know, the looking, looking at the face of the mountain is going to show you so much. There's a lot you don't see when when you're just looking at the mountain and you're watching, you know, a buck bedded on the face of it, you know, there's a lot you don't see. And it takes, you know, uh, the experience of, you know, putting a stock on a buck and realizing, oh, I didn't pay enough attention to actually realize that. Yep. And, uh, you know, you, you try to make sure you don't do it again. And, and I'd be lying if I said I didn't do it multiple times before, <laughs> and, and I'll probably do it again you know multiple but, times you know, more i'm sure i'm there with you <laughs> exactly 
exactly. But, you know, you take something every time with you. And like you said, when, when you can learn from a mistake or you know what you did to blow the stock, you know, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely worth it. You know, as much as it sucks to blow a stock, if you can take something back from it and learn, you know, it, it wasn't a failed stock. You know, yeah, you didn't kill, but you learned. So, mm-hmm. you know, use, use that knowledge the next time. Yeah. And well, like one thing that Randy Omer says, uh, he said, you know, honestly, I get up there and I glass and I find my buck and then I spend more time looking for other deer that are going to blow the stock for me. And that, that goes right in with what you were just saying, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, maybe if you have a store moving in or you have, you look over and you see, you know, maybe you see some hikers walking through the bottom and you're thinking to yourself, well, I I better go now before they get closer to him and bump him. You know, I mean, there's obviously some times when it's time to go, but just like you're saying, knowing when to go and when not to, or knowing when to go faster and when to slow down are are huge, huge learning experiences in themselves. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, it's, it's huge. I, I mean, like I said, uh, my first year hunting in Colorado, you know, I was, I was pretty humbled. You know, I was always pretty cocky and, and, you know, I, I, you know, was, I mean, overall pretty successful, you know, outside of, you know, my first time hunting to Colorado. And when I got over there and, and actually did my first high country mule deer hunt and had, I don't know, probably three or four blown stocks. Um, I tell you what, I, I, I wanted to learn as much as I could. (laughs) Yeah. And and I didn't, I wanted to minimize that as much as possible. And, you know, it, it takes going through that or, or experiencing the failures to, to truly, you know, put your nose to the grindstone and, and, and make these things happen, um, once, once you fail. And, and so, you know, it's, (laughs) I, I, I just, I can't fathom how, how many times I've, I've had that happen over there. And like you said, between reading terrain, coming over in the wrong bed, different deer that blow you out. I mean, I've experienced it all. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's, uh, yeah. And it's never going to change. You'll, you'll, you'll do it. Whether, whether you're a first time over there or you've been over there many years, you know, it, it still happens to the best of us. There's, there's, there's always one thing that you can miss and, and the smallest detail will, will ruin that stock completely. Yeah, that's, that is 100% the truth. I mean, it's in the smallest detail that that's an excellent way to put it. Uh, and it's crazy how quickly it can start going wrong. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, if it can go wrong, it will go wrong. Like I said, I've, I've experienced it go wrong more times than not, especially over there. And, uh, for some reason, no matter how beat up it makes you or how miserable you are, I, you still want to be back over there right after you get off the mountain and you're driving home. 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's the, the craziest thing. It's the craziest thing. I'll never forget. And I think 2012 was my first year over there. And, uh, you know, that was the year, like I told you, I had three or four blown stocks. And uh, I connected on a, a solid, solid buck. Um, he was regressing. He was, I don't know. He had about a one one seventies frame on him, but he was only a four by three, um, right around that 28 to 30 inch mark. I mean, he was a very solid buck and, uh, stock came together well. Um, uh, and I blew the opportunity. Um, I hit him high, hit him scapula and, uh, you know, lost that buck. And I tell you what, that was probably one of the hardest failed stocks that I ever had to learn from. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I learned a lot. Um, fortunately, you know, that buck wasn't hit fatally. So let's clear that out. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, he, uh, you know, like I said, I hit him in the scapula when, when he was, you know, in his bed and, you know, I think I got about maybe an inch, inch and a half of penetration of shaft. So, um, you know, he bound out of there and he was, he was fine. Like nothing happened, you know, but, but learning from that, my first year, um, you know, was huge, you know, between the, the multiple failed stocks, that failed stock and actually coming home without, without an animal that year, um, was very tough, but I tell you what, I wasn't halfway home before I was already planning on coming back the following year and, and getting my ass kicked again just to spend more time on the mountain, you know. And uh, it's just crazy what it'll do to you. So, you know, you always come out of it with something, whether whether it's an animal or, or you just got your ass kicked and you learn from it. Yeah. No, that, that's 100%. That's uh, – and – and I guess, you know, the, the cool thing is you go up there and you, like you say, you learn something and then you can put it towards your next hunt. Well, hopefully you put it towards your next hunt and, uh, you know, hopefully don't make the exact same mistake as you did on the one before. And, and you slowly start putting all those lessons learned together and you slowly start shifting from having all these unsuccessful hunts to, you know, twenty five seventy five. And then it starts getting a little bit better and a little bit better. I mean, you're always going to have hunts where you go in there and it just doesn't work out, but that's why it's hunting and not killing. So exactly. I mean, I had, I had two of those happen this year outside of my Colorado. hunt. So yeah. Um, right. I mean, it I just think, happens, uh, you know, it happens. So, you know, that's, but you know, if it was easy, everybody did it. That's, yeah. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, it seems like it's getting more and more people are out there. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Oh man, it's, it's crazy. You know, I used to very seldom see people in the unit I hunt and now it's, I think I probably ran into four or five people over there and, and, you know, it's just crazy. You know, um, a lot of people used to stay to the Southern end of the unit or, you know, if you saw somebody, normally they were elk hunters, but you know, it, it seems to, you know, as the whole you know, backpack hunting or backcountry hunting, whatever everybody's calling it is, is, you know, getting more popular. Um, you know, you're, you're running into a lot more people on the mountain. Yeah. Um, I ran into one couple the night before I killed my buck, 
Um, I was coming off the mountain. Um, I was, I was where, you know, I, I located those two other bucks I was chasing. Um, and, uh, I couldn't stay in there. I knew that the buck I shot, um, I knew he had to be back on that mountain somewhere. So I couldn't, I couldn't stay where I was sleep well at night knowing he was still, you know, very possibly right back to where he got bumped out of his bed that, that morning from the backpackers. So Mm -hmm. when, uh, I bailed off the mountain that night, it was, I don't know. I think it was about a seven, no, probably a five mile hike out. Nothing crazy. Um, and I'm going out and and mind you, it's probably nine o'clock at night now, by the time, you know, I got done, you know, from glassing during the evening and got back and broke down camp and, and, uh, decided to head out, um, you know, they were probably, I don't know, maybe a mile in from the trailhead, um, on my way out. And, uh, this couple was from Ohio and, uh, this guy brought his poor wife and was having, having her pack in, you know, I, where they were going. So they were going to where I was, which was about five miles. And then, uh, you drop down to a Creek and you take another trail, um, about another three or four miles where he planned on taking this poor thing. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. You know, I mean, I've seen some crazy things on the mountain and, and ran into some different people, but I, I was, I was pretty dumbfound after, you know, running into this guy and his wife and, and they're from Ohio, never been hunting in Colorado before and, and wanting to go that deep. And, and, you know, he had every intention on killing an elk in there along with a mule deer. And, you know, I just thought to myself, man, how, I don't think you understand what you're doing. I think you might be biting off a little more than you can chew. I mean, <laughs> you know, let's be realists here. Your wife can't pack this out. So you're solo packing this thing out. And, uh, you got some trips behind you, especially if, I mean, you know, as a crow flies, he's probably, you know, he's not too far from the road system, but when you're actually following the trails, trail system, you know, he had a good little poke to go. And, uh, so I, uh, I gave him the information on, on where I saw those couple bucks and, and I'm still hoping he took it and didn't put his wife through that but talk about running into people on the mountain i i was dumbfounded by that one just uh you know first time over there i i get the whole you know wanting to go as deep as you can or as far as you can and and uh and you know whatever whether it's uh measuring pps or or whatever it is anymore everybody talks about how far in they go but uh you know like i told him you got a deer right here. There's no, there's no sense in going that far and putting your wife through that. But, you know, I, I'm still curious how far they actually went in or, or how far, you know, if they even made it that far, you know, but <laughs> I, I have a feeling, I have a feeling he was getting divorced when they got home. For sure. <laughs> well, I tell you what, if it was possible for me to go negative amount of miles and kill an animal, I would do it. Um, it just, it just oh, yeah. impossible, you know, like I, I, I don't, I don't walk eight miles back oh, in yeah. there so that no, I can I mean, post on Instagram that I walked eight miles in there. 
it just seems like I just go where I find deer. When I find deer, I'm like you. I'm not going to leave deer to find deer. If there's one there that excites me, I'm not leaving it until I blow it out of the country, which usually happens. Exactly. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that's the thing, man. I mean, you know, I'm the same way. I, 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 I'm a big believer in, uh, you know, smarter, not harder. And, uh, you know, if, if, you know, I'm able to find good bucks close, I'm going to hunt those bucks. You know, if, if I'm not, then yeah, you, you, you know, you suck it up and, and cover the ground you need to cover. But I mean, why, why kill yourself besides, you know, trying to show off for Instagram or, or Facebook or friends, whatever the hell it is. I know, you know, everybody always asks how far in or this and that it's, it's kind of gotten to a point where it's, it's dumb. <laughs> I'll be honest. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll gladly take on the, the bucks that are, you know, a half mile, a mile, hell right off the road and, uh, let these guys cover all that country for nothing. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you know, don't pass, don't pass good bucks to find good bucks, you know? I mean, that's, that's the thing, you know, smarter, not harder. Mm-hmm. And, uh, some people just don't seem to get it. Yep. Yep. I agree. But, <laughs> I, and, and, it's, and hopefully, you know, some, I don't think they ever will at some point, which is, you have that in every aspect of life, you know, that there's, there's always going to be the person that just doesn't get it, but, oh, well, so you find you got you finally found that buck that you got this year, and you you uh, you got him on a spot that, that you're able to get to. So, what happened from there? Yeah, man. So, um, when I came out that night, um, I got in touch with my buddy Tanner, who I was with that morning that those backpackers blew them out. I got in touch with him. Uh, he and I hooked up, met at the trailhead that morning, and and hiked in and, um, didn't find that buck at first. Um, we actually found a few elk and, um, a couple mediocre bucks, but nothing of the caliber, you know, that I wanted. Um, sounds kind of bad to say, but you know, I had a target set for that, that buck, especially. And, and, you know, I was willing to eat that tag if, you know, if I had to, and, uh, so we glassed for a while, like I said, didn't find much. And, uh, finally we picked him up, um, as soon as he fed out of, uh, a little timber patch. Um, and he was hanging out with a younger buck, but as far as the other deer to have to worry about, it was only them. So the other, the rest of the deer, um, weren't with him. So that, that worked out in our favor, less eyes, you know, he's on a, on a hillside that is stockable. Um, just, you know, we got to figure out where he beds. Mm -hmm. So, um, there was two total escape routes on this ridge and we knew them both. Um, we watched them feed up and over the one, um, when the backpackers blew them out, when they fed up and over into the willow patch. So we knew that escape route. And he bedded right under the other. But that escape route is the one I'd be coming over the top on. So he wasn't going to go that way if something happened. 
So I bail out heading over, you know, to, uh, to get over the top. Like I said, it was, it was kind of an interesting, uh, interesting debacle to get over there. You know, I had to go through a pass side hill on the mountain, go through another pass side hill scale, you know, a little section of cliffs, get up on the ridge. And, uh, you know, it was all in that shale rock. So it was just a nightmare. I mean, you could see the pictures of where I killed him. I mean, that whole, that whole mountain was that stuff. Right. So, um, so I get up there and, and what I did, um, before I left, um, I had Tanner set a Nalgene bottle on top of a rock that he was, we were sitting at glassing this buck from. We set the Nalgene bottle up top and I told him, I said, if that buck moves, take the Nalgene bottle down. If he stays, leave it. You know, then we're not screwing with hand signals. We're not screwing with anything. I know he's there or he's not. Mm-hmm. So I get up there, drop my pack. You know, I'm able to look back. The Nalgene bottle's still there. Okay, perfect. He's in his bed. Drink a little water, kind of, you know, just gain my composure from that, you know, hike. Yeah. Um, <laughs> get an arrow knock, get the, you know, just go through everything. Just make sure everything's, you know, ready. And, and you know, I'm you know, good enough to take the shot and, and not winded or, or anything of the sort, you know, you just kind of, you know, it's, you know, sometimes you're only given one opportunity and you do want to make the best of it. So, um, got over to where that escape route was. Um, I peeked over and the wind was kind of swirling. So I knew it was, it was going to be, once I came over the top, it was going to be a quick deal and I needed to be ready. So as soon as I looked over, um, the little buck he was with was standing there. He knew something was going on. Um, didn't know quite what he didn't, he didn't bail out of there too quick. Um, but he cruised on out and I came to full draw and the big buck's sitting there, but the way he's bedded, all I can see is his head and his antlers and his body. Um, if you look, you know, on the Instagram pictures of him, you'll see a big square rock he's bedded under. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, his his vitals, every, I mean, I got nothing to shoot at, period. So I think, okay, perfect. He's going to stand up. He's going to follow that buck out. They're not, ooh. So he should give me, you know, long enough to get a shot. He's sitting there at 28 yards. And uh, damn, <laughs> he does. Uh, yeah, I'm sitting there at full draw you know, just waiting for him to stand. And, uh, you know, I know where his vitals already are, of course, you know, I just need him to stand up to stick an arrow through him. And, uh, he, he, he looks back at me, sees, he sees me on the ridge line at full draw. He turns his head back, looking downhill and he didn't stand up. He bound out of his bed. He bound. He, he didn't, he didn't give me anything to get a shot off. I mean, he literally, I mean, was from when he hit his feet after getting, you know, from that bed, he was five, six foot away. <laughs> and, uh, so playing, playing it in my head real quick, I knew where he was going. He was going to hit that escape route down the way up and over into that other basin. And, and that opened him up to all kinds of country. You know, he was, if he went up and over that escape route, I might as well kiss him goodbye. Right. <laughs> you know, and uh, so 
I bailed back over the other side of the ridge and pretty much in a dead sprint getting over to his escape route. And uh, I get there and, you know, the, the trail was about, I mean, it came out from right under my feet where I was standing on the cliff and it, it came out from my feet, kind of went straight out from me and then it turned to the left and went up and over the ridge right there. So as soon as I got there, the fork and horn or the, the small buck, it was a fork and horn, was just about to cross on that trail. Okay, perfect. Boom, hit him. He was, um, I think it was 35 yards. It's like, okay, perfect. This buck's hopefully going to do the same exact thing up and over, and that's it. So I'm standing there waiting, 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 waiting. Nothing's happening. What the hell's going on here? I, <laughs> I don't get it. I, he, he didn't leave the mountain. He didn't leave the mountain. There is no way in hell. He's, he's on this space somewhere. He's got to be coming. I just don't get it. Uh-huh. So when I'm, you know, standing there overlooking his escape route, I can look over and see my buddy, you know, that's, that's sitting there watching this whole thing unfold through the spotting scope. And I can see him pointing, you know, telling me the deer's still on the ridge. Now, you know, mind you, I'm looking a long ways with 1042s. I can't really see hands that well. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, make, you know, make out your basics, but as far as, you know, good luck. So <laughs> I think he finally caught on to that. And, uh, next thing I know, I see him throwing his backpack over his shoulder, stashing everything behind the rock we were just sitting at, throws his backpack over the shoulder. And I just see him bombing over the mountain, over towards the mountain I'm on top of. And, uh, so he gets over there and, and wraps around that the inside of it um at the head of the basin and uh he starts working his way down to bump this buck over to me and what had happened was this this buck backed himself into a little cavern on the ridge line or on Smart the sucker the ribbon cliff so he back, backed his ass into this ridge line and let my buddy get up to 80 yards from him before he decided to go <laughs> He walked right up on him at 80 yards because he didn't want to leave. He knew something was going on, but he couldn't figure out what. And uh, so he finally decides to leave. And and mind you, this is probably 10 minutes into it. You know, by the time, you know, my buddy got over there and everything else, the wind's ripping at about, you know, 35 miles an hour. And, and. You know, I'm just wearing uh, a first light sweatshirt at this point. So it's it's pretty chilly. You know, thunderheads <laughs> are starting to roll in, you know, and I, I'm thinking, oh, man, this there's no way this is going to work out. You know, I'm just kind of losing faith. You know, I'm starting to freeze my ass off and, and uh, kind of just thinking, shit, I guess that might be it. And uh, just, I, I mean... Just as I started thinking that, I hear, I hear, I hear something walking on the trail right under my feet, and sure as shit, it was him. And he he walks out from under my feet, you know. And it was, you know, I knew the yardage already, you know, of of where I predicted him to stop. Um, you know, so there was no fumbling with anything. You know, it was just like autopilot. Uh huh. Clip my release. You know, 
and uh, came to full draws. He was, you know, his back was to me, and he was working out the ridge line before he turned. Came to full draw, and uh, you know, set my anchor and all that good stuff. And just like clockwork, man, he stopped right where that fork and horn did, and and just pinwheeled him. God, uh, so awesome, you know. And and the angle, the angle was so steep. You know, I was I was so high above, and the angle was so steep. Uh, mind you, I shoot, you know, about a 500 and I don't know, 510 to 520 grain arrow, mm-hmm. you know, out of, you know, an RX, an RX one ultra at 83 pounds. Okay. You know, so I put out some kinetic energy, you know, yeah. and, uh, the arrow was the, 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 the angle was so steep, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but when he whirled around after I shot it, my arrow was hanging out the side what the hell's going on? I've never not blown through an animal. Um, you know, it was, I was kind of blown away. Well, the angle was so steep. It went out and hit the dirt on the bottom. Stayed in him is what happened. But, you know, as he's bounding out, I'm, you know, I throw up my glass and I just watch the blood squirting out both sides. I'm like, okay, perfect. He's hit perfect. He's done. And so of course I do the, the hoot and hollering, you know, the, you know, little celebration, you know, and text the fiance and text a couple buddies real quick and thought, you know what, shit, I need to go back about a half mile and get my, my back, you know, my pack still, you know, mm-hmm. from where I dropped it originally. So I set my boat down. I walk over, grab my pack, come back. And, and mind you, I came back on the lower side this time. So I wasn't up on that cliff overlooking the escape route. I came you know, down and I get over there, I get to where I shot him. And at first I'm like, where the hell's the blood at? Like I watched it. Where's, where's the blood at? And I'm walk a little bit. I don't see it. And of course now I'm thinking, Oh shit, did I really just screw that up and make a bad shot and think I made good, made a good shot and told everybody I just killed a buck and I didn't, you know, just playing those thoughts through your head, you know? And uh, I go over to where I saw in bed and my arrow's laying in there and it's just, I mean, lung blood all over the place, you know, and, and just bright red. And I thought, okay, so he's hit hard. He was in his bed here. Where'd he go? And, uh, you know, mind you, you know, it was in that shale. So you, anything that tries to go downhill just bulldozes and uh, you could see where he got out of his bed, not feeling good and, and wanted to head downhill and he died on his feet. Gotcha. And he rolled probably a good, (laughs) it it was probably a, you know, 750 to a thousand foot, you know, drop by the time he, he hung up his antlers in a couple rocks. Shit. And, uh, and we were able to, to find him, you know, I mean, you know, it was a good ways down there. I didn't expect that to happen. <laughs> uh, fortunately, surprisingly, he didn't break anything. He tore up his velvet real good, uh, but didn't break anything. Uh, got down to him, and I mean, I was blown away. He's he's got mass. I mean, it's just stupid. I I wish Chad had better pictures of the mass. I mean, he's he's I mean, he's everything I could dream of. He was a little weak on his G twos, but I mean, beggars can't be choosers, and and you know, he was by far my best buck I've ever killed. And, uh, you know, it was, it was one of those, I was, I mean, I was on cloud nine still in, and, uh, you know, we got over to him 
and uh you know the the it was it was tricky to to clear out a flat spot enough to roll him over and <laughs> and be able to to quarter him out and get pictures <laughs> and, and everything else i mean shit when i was on the bottom side of him you know cape you know starting to cape him out so i start quartering him and and i'm standing up just normal you know i'm only 5'11 but i could stand up normal and and just work on him you know i didn't have to bend over i <laughs> on my knees i get to stand there cutting and that is uh, steep <laughs> you know it was steep stuff man and and you know by the time you know we got all that done you know, we were only a couple miles from the truck at this point. He just, you know, we had to go up and over that ridge and we could drop down and go across the base through the pass and we were at the vehicle. So it wasn't too bad. But I tell you what, um, I finished the last of my water not thinking um, right after that, that hike over to get to him. So we were out in the water. You know, uh, Tanner had a little bit, but I didn't want to take his from him. And I left my pump and everything. And and, uh, you know, there was, you know, we were, I was shit that, that hike out was fun with, with not having any water. And, uh, you know, we got out and, uh, I got on the road that night and, and drove back home. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, it was, it was a hell of a trip, man. And, uh, like I said, I, uh, I set a goal. I, I, you know, always killed you know, good bucks, but I, you know, I wanted to break into the one eighties this year. That was, that was a big deal for me, especially after coming off the surgery and, and, uh, possibly not being able to go and, you know, just had a hell of a, a fight to get back over there. So to be able to, to grind it out and accomplish that was, I mean, you know, it was more of, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I, I, I still, you know, can't even put it into words what, what it meant to be able to kill a buck of that caliber, um, you know, with everything that, that it took to get back over there and, and the time and effort that was put into making it happen. And, uh, you know, he'll, he'll definitely, you know, he may not, you know, I, I plan on trying to kill bigger bucks down the road, so he won't always be my biggest buck, but I think he'll probably be my most memorable. For sure, that's wicked cool, man. Well, I'm uh, I, I'm glad that, that you were able to come off your surgery and, and make that happen. Uh, you know, you're you're one of the guys out there that really works really hard at it, and you definitely earn it. So it couldn't have happened to a better guy, that's for sure. So, uh, man, I'm I'm so glad that that you were over there on that that escape route and and ready to rock and roll when that deer came by. That's so cool. Yeah, it was, it was awesome, man. I, I can say that was probably one of the, the first times I've had all the pieces just come together so perfect and it felt good. It, like, you know, like we discussed all the failures kind of, you know, you learn it from them, but when it's all able to come together, it, it makes, you know, it makes up for all those failures. Yeah. You know, I, I always say bow hunting can take you from the lowest, to lows to the highest, to highs. And, uh, I'll say that always and uh you know it was it was definitely awesome to be able to come off of that into that for sure absolutely absolutely so uh real quick question uh what you were just you mentioned briefly that you shoot uh 
I think you said 520 or 516 grain arrow. Uh, what is your arrow setup and what broadhead are you shooting? Or so I'm going to be changing this year, very possibly, um, to that new Easton FMJ shaft. Um, but right now, um, I shoot the Easton injection FMJ. Um, you know, I cut it right at, I think, 30 inches. Um, you know, and then uh, I run, I, I'm changing up this year. So it's kind of, you know, I'm reverting back to last year's stuff, but uh, a Bonning Blazer vein, uh, just your typical Blazer um, on, you know, just nothing crazy as, as far as that. And then uh, in the front end, um, you know, I was never a rage guy for a long time until they came out with the hypodermics. And, and uh, so I'll throw a brass insert up front um, and uh, run a hundred grain hypodermic. And I mean, that has been, I, I've, I swear by those shafts. I, I swear by that setup. And, um, you know, I'm going to have a hard time changing if I decide to this year, you know, I mean, I've, I've killed everything from caribou to, uh, I mean, moose, um, mule deer. I, I've shot everything with that setup and I have never had an issue. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I used to be a speed guy and, and shoot the lightest shaft I could, you know, to get the speed and everything else, you know, when I was growing up and, and, uh, you know, I, I like to be, you know, as heavy as I can, but still be right around that 290 to 300 foot a second mark, um, is, is where I like to stay. So if I'm able to stack as much weight as I can on that shaft, um, and keep it right in that range, you know, um, I'll do it, you know, but, you know, I, I, I ran, you know, the, the standard FMJs for a lot of years, um, in a 300 spine. Um, so I believe those were right around, I want to say those were 13 grains an inch, maybe 12. Um, and those were right in that. Um, I think I was about the 535 set up on those as well. Um, but you know, as, as far as arrows set up, you know, there is so many different opinions out there. It's crazy, but Right. You know, I swear by the FM, I swear by the FMJs. I don't think anybody could ever steer me away from the FMJ. Um, I've just had too much success. I know, I, I mean, you, yeah, I, I, you, I mean, I just, I can't speak enough about the shaft itself, whether it's a deep six, whether it's a standard, whether it's one of the dangerous game, it, it doesn't matter that that shaft gets it done. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I always, you know, use the, the analogy, if you're wanting to knock down a house, do you want to hit it with a stick or do you want to hit it with a log? You know? And, uh, you know, the, the heavier arrow to me, the better. Um, I know I shot a buck in Colorado with that same setup, um, in 2014, except I had a slick trick up front and, uh, you know, he was quartering hard towards me and, and, uh, it went in just, in front of let's see it would have been just in front of his his right rear quarter and 
blew out the front of his chest and just left. I mean, mind you, if you if you've ever shot a slick trick, you know the holes they core, and it it cored a hole from one end of his body all the way out the other, and and everything in between was just demolished, whether it was bone or anything, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know I've. <laughs> I've formed by that setup ever since. I've never had a, you know, uh, an issue one with that. And, and, uh, you know, the first buck I ever shot in Colorado, that one I lost, um, that was with a lighter, you know, 400 grain arrow, you know, out of a Matthews Z7 actually at that point. Um, but you know, I, I, like you said, you learn and, and I learned on that, that buck in particular that, you know, I'm not going to make that mistake again. I'm going to shoot a heavy arrow. I'm going to shoot the, you know, the, the poundage I can efficiently shoot, which for me, I mean, you know, I, I shoot, you know, in the 80, 82 to 83 pound range. It depends on what the bow just maxes out at. I don't ever add extra twist, add weight or anything like that. But, uh, you know, and, and I've never had an issue again of, of <coughs> not being able to punch through something, you know, I yeah. shot, like I said, that caribou on a frontal and blew all the way into the fletchings. And, you know, I've, you know, I, I feel very confident in my setup and, and I think that's the main thing for everybody, no matter what, as far as the shaft, there's a lot of good shafts out there. There's a lot of good setups out there. I mean, you know, from an Easton Axis to Easton FMJ to an injection, uh, you know, what, whatever the shaft may be, you know, as, as long as you're confident in that shaft and, and, and what it can do and, and uh, you don't overextend, I mean, you're not, you know, you need to know your arrow shaft setup more or less. I think people don't pay that much attention to that. They'll set their bow up. You know, they'll add all the shit to make it look pretty or whatever the case may be, but they don't really pay much attention to the arrow itself. And, uh, that's a big one. Yep. I mean, you don't, I remember, uh, Tim Gillingham did a great podcast on fixed blade versus mechanical and, uh, you know, I'll bounce around between the two for sure. Um, but you know, it's, it's knowing your capabilities for, for the shaft and, and the broadhead you're shooting and, and what you're able to get away with and what you're not. And, uh, you know, for me, what works is, you know, an injection FMJ and, you know, a little weight up front with, uh, you know, rage hypodermic and, and that, and this year I'm looking at possibly changing to that new, like I said, that new FMJ, that, that new tapered one, um, that goes from that six millimeter down to the four, um, I, I'm throwing that around and then I'm thinking about, you know, cause, um, with the rage or I've been playing with those sever broadheads as well, um, which are pretty slick. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, swapping over to those little AAE, uh, those little AAE maxes as a four fletch and the pro max, that is. but like I said, I have exactly gotcha. So playing with those in a four. And, uh, and seeing what those do, but I just have, you know, I've, I've, I've had that mindset for a couple of years to do some playing with that. And I actually have, you know, some fletch ready to go, but I just have a hard time with, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And this setup's done everything for me. Why do I want to change it? 
but you know, I, I, I kind of want to do some playing and, and, you know, testing and, and all that fun stuff since, um, you know, this is the time of year that, you know, you, you get that kind of downtime to play with everything, you know, the bow should be here in the next couple of weeks and, mm-hmm. and, uh, get to do some playing before, you know, spring starts and, and, you know, turkey season and everything else. So, hell I'm, yeah, uh, you know, definitely looking forward to it. But uh, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. But right now, as far as I'm concerned, that that injection and and that setup I'm running is a very deadly combination. And it would take a lot to steer me away from it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's 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 hard to uh, argue with results. (laughs) You know, I mean, results and success is pretty hard to argue that. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's the thing. And, and you can't, and that's, that's, um, that's my thing is, is, I mean, I, results speak for themselves, you know, and, and when it comes down to it, you know, you're going to listen to, you know, one of these guys that are, you know, pushing these, these broad heads that have never killed anything with them. And, uh, you know, you see a lot of them on Instagram and, uh, you know, pushing those single bevels and, Kudu point this brand or this brand and and you see them pushing them and, and and you look at their page and they haven't they've yet to kill anything with that broadhead but they're sitting there promoting this broadhead like it's the best well let's see some results what are you killing with it right you know, what do you what, what's going on you know you got nothing but selfies and and reposts of everybody else's stuff on your page where are your animals with these broadheads you say are the best yeah you know, and and you know, I, I, you know, results. That's what I want. You're going to tell me something's the best. Show me results. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and I'm well, I'm a firm believer in that. Yeah. I'm a firm believer in results too. Absolutely. Uh, but if they can point me to someone else's results with that broadhead or arrow or bow or whatever else. Oh no, absolutely. Oh, you no, know, cause, absolutely. cause like, absolutely. like Result, if it's, I'm, if I'm it's a first year bow from, hunter from a head yeah. period, yeah, there you go. Exactly. Because if it's a first year bow hunter and they're like, man, this is the best broadhead ever. And you're like, well, where's your results? <laughs> they're like, well, I blew 14 yeah, no, stocks no, 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 this no. year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, 14 stocks. That's, that's a lot of stocks. I got to hunt there. <laughs> man, let's hook up. Let's hook up. <laughs> yeah, I know for sure. Well, uh, we'll definitely get something planned, man. Well, sweet, buddy. Well, uh, yeah, like I say, I appreciate it a ton and uh, and look forward to hopefully having you back on in the near future. Sounds good, man. Thank you for tuning in to the show. It means a lot to us. But seriously, though, I really appreciate your ear. And it would mean the world to me if you would rate our podcast. If you didn't like it, one star it. But if you did, a five is even better. Don't forget to comment, like, share, and hit that subscribe button. Thanks again for tuning into the show. Some other podcasts that you should definitely check out are... Eastman Elevated with Brian Barney. 
and Hunt Harvest Health with Ryan and Hillary Lampers. And a special thanks to Maven Optics, Six Sight Gear, Dark Energy Tech, Shield Mountain Outdoors, The Outdoor Insiders, Iron Mind Hunting, Valkyrie Archery, and Gannett Ridge Sporting Equipment.